Have you ever been guilty of regifting? Absolutely. I'm cheap. Can you tell some kind of something that you've regifted before? Not in front of the church. <laughs> okay, not. The people may be in the. Some kind of regifting story that you can share for everybody. Uh, I refuse to admit my past sins. How does it? How does it make you feel when you regift something? It makes me feel like I got rid of something I didn't really want. <laughs> do you know what regifting is? Absolutely, I do it every year. You get stuff you don't want, you wrap it back up and give the buddy. <laughs> Uh, now I know why Brantley Lyons gives me such terrible gifts every Christmas. But it does make me thankful he's a city councilman, so maybe he's cheap with our money too. All right? So thankful that you're here today. I mean, this regifting has such a, a negative image. Uh, Stephanie and I got married in 1984. We lived here in Montgomery, uh, and we got lots of gifts. But in, in 1984, there was one gift that was really popular, and it was these, look at it, cheese domes. Anybody remember cheese domes? Uh, the only thing I knew they were good for was you got to watch your cheese get bad, okay? And, and so we got all these cheese domes, and just a couple months later, we moved to Tuscaloosa. So I want you to know, those cheese domes you gave us are probably in some attics in Tuscaloosa today, all right? Because we kept on giving them out. So despite the fact one-fifth of us would say that we are going to re-gift it still has a pretty bad reputation. Now, I want you to watch this video clip from Seinfeld where the term regifting first became popular. <laughs> well, you may not want that charge, do you? But it's a, this Christmas, what we want to do is take with sort of a, a negative idea and, and make it positive. Because really for us as Christians, regifting is the whole idea of this season that we have received the most incredible gift that now we now give to other people. And so today we start talking about what do we regift? What do we give? We've got a theme passage for this series from Romans chapter 5. Let me read these first six verses and you'll see highlighted the four words that are associated with the gifts of Christmas. Just listen to this wonderful passage. Therefore, since we've been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace. There's number one. With God, because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us, because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully, there's word number two, look forward to the sharing of God's glory. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation, word three. And this hope will not lead us to disappointment, for we know how God loves us, and because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love, word three. When we, four, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time for us sinners. So today, we're going to focus on one of those words, and that's the word hope. 
And, and here's our outline today. We're going to start by, first of all, reintroducing the idea of hope. Because often I think we miss it. And then we're going to talk about how do you actually refresh your hope when you're out of it. And, and then we're going to get really practical at the end about what you can re- do to reclaim your hope even this week. You see, because despite the fact that Christmas comes with such incredible billings, many of us really are disappointed in Christmas. I mean, the expectations are so high, our experience often is so low, or maybe, you know, it's just so stressful. I I, I love a, a book called Reclaiming the Joy of Christmas by a lady named Alexandra. And she exasperatedly says in this reading, this year will be different. Let let me read what she says. Every year I pull out my boxes of Christmas decorations from our garage attic, and I declare this year will be different. As I stand on the garage's concrete floor holding a mess of tangled Christmas lights, I wonder if I should just toss the blob out and head to Target to buy new ones. Anybody have been there? But I'm too cheap and too lazy. Been there? So as I unweave the strings from one another, I once again resolve when the season is done and it's time to pack up these lights, I'll not throw them in the box in a tangled wad like I did the year before. Now the wads of lights represent how I feel at the end of the previous Christmas season. By the time I need to pack them up, I'm exhausted and done. I I strip the decorations off the tree in the front porch, and I stuff them in these boxes with a fury, figuring it'll all get organized next year. Because by the time Christmas has come and gone, I want nothing to do with the holiday. Now, you probably wouldn't confess that, but there are many people in this room who feel that way. And so I want to give you some hope, not, not just for the future, but hope for these holidays. So let's, first of all, let's reintroduce hope. You know, often we use the word hope in a really unbiblical way. We just have wishful thinking. You know, for instance, as your preacher, you know, I hope you'll all show up on time for church. But you all know that's just wishful thinking, right? But in the Bible, the word hope is a joyful expectancy. Uh, Someone described hope to me this week with these words. I love them. Hope is faith on its tiptoes. Just that expectancy and knowledge, something great's about to happen. I I think of our children when they were young, and we lived in a two-story house, and Christmas morning our tradition was just to lay all of their gifts out, you know. And and so, um, you know, they would all want to sleep upstairs together on on, on Christmas Eve. And so the the tradition was they could wake up, but they had to yell downstairs and wake us up so we'd have the camera ready. So they would scream downstairs, and then I'd look up the stairs. There's all four of them right on their tiptoes ready to run over each other to get downstairs. And that's the picture of this hope, is that we are anticipating. We're not just wishful thinking. We have great knowledge that something great is about to happen. Now, this is so important because we have an amazing need today for hope. Because we live in a hopeless time. I mean, guys, you hear it. I mean, all you got to do is watch the news. Here here we are, guys, and and we've got an economy that's booming. We've got more gadgets than we've ever had, more free time. 
And yet, so many of us struggle with depression. So many of us struggle with with hopelessness. It's gotten so bad that the report recently says the U.S. suicide rate rate is at its highest level ever. I mean, if it were a disease, we'd put an alert out that says it's an epidemic. In fact, there will be 70,000 people who will die from a drug overdose this year. And for the first time in many, many, many decades, life expectancy of men and women in the United States of America is down. So if there's anything that we need to re-gift, it's we need to re-gift hope. I'm telling you, I'm preaching too many funerals and going to too many deaths of people who die way before they should. And you are too. I think about growing up, I cannot remember having a friend who committed suicide. But if I polled these teenagers over here, I would guarantee you every one of them have had one, if not multiple, friends who committed suicide. You college students the same way. And so there's a spirit of hopelessness. And guys, the only thing that overcomes that is the power of hope. The only reason someone would would end their life in the long run is that they just feel completely hopeless. But you see, if, if you have hope, everything says it will give you the power to endure anything. Studies of the Holocaust said the people who made it through the Holocaust in those terrible places, those terrible camps, were people who held on to some degree of hope. You know, there's been a lot of studies about the awful institution of slavery in our country. And some academic intellectuals who don't believe in God have charged that the problem with the slaves was they sang all those Christian hymns about the hope of heaven. And that really that all that did to them was make them more subservient to that terrible system. It wasn't a good thing. But my friends, every study has said it was those hymns that allowed them to endure that. It was those hymns that gave them faith in a better future. It was those hymns that gave them the courage to stand up and throw off the shackles of slavery. It was the Christian faith that undid slavery. Why? Because we believed in something better. And when you have hope, my friends, it will sustain you through difficulties. It will motivate you when you're discouraged. And it will even allow us to face death with confidence. You see, as our reading said, hope does not disappoint. I mean, let me tell you guys, there's a lot of other things that will disappoint you. But but that hope in, in God will never disappoint you. Is it any wonder when America is slowly but surely rejecting the Christian faith, that at the same time that the faith is being rejected, that hopelessness is, is raised? Why? Because what else do you build your life on? Now let me give you an example of someone who built their life on one promise of God. Go with me to the Christmas story in Luke chapter 2. And we're going to look at this, this character named Simeon. And just, just go with me to verse 25. Now, now, here's a character. Let me say this. He appears in your Bible, and then he walks off stage, and we never hear another word about him. But here's what we do know about him. Verse 25, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout, 
He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. Now, I don't know about you, but if people knew nothing about me but that sentence, I think my life would have been a success, wouldn't you? I mean, here's a guy, listen to it. I mean, he's righteous, he's devout, he's full of the Holy Spirit. The only part of this verse that bothers me is, is that word consolation. I don't know about you, but whenever I think about that word, it's always been negative to me. I've tried to figure it out this week. It's because I relate it to the consolation prize. You know about that? Nobody wants the consolation prize. But guys, biblically, there's a lot of translations that do better with this word. Because the word consolation literally means the day God will take away our sorrow. It's the day that God shows up to console us in this difficult world. So we meet him. Look at verse 26. Here's what he's doing. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Now, tradition says this dude was over 100 years old. I don't know how long he's been waiting. I don't know if God promised him this when he's a teenager or he's 30 or he's 40. But my, my anticipation is he's been waiting for a long time. And he shows up with nothing but hope to the temple, waiting to see this Messiah. And finally, the day comes. Look at verse 27. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God. What a scene. He's been waiting all these years the Holy Spirit reveals to him to go to the temple that day. Holy Spirit points his finger at Jesus. He, he immediately takes this baby. I don't know what Mary and Joseph were thinking, but this old guy takes this baby. And, and guys, you may have noticed this by reading this, but he breaks out into a hymn. He, he can't help but sing. And here's the words he's saying. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation of the Gentiles and a glory of your people Israel. I mean, right here at the beginning, here's the theme of the Gospel of Luke we studied all last year, all this year, excuse me, is that this Gospel, this Savior, is going to be for everyone. Now, listen to what it also says. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. It's still hitting Joseph and Mary how special this Jesus is. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising and many of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And then he adds, sadly, a sword will pierce your own soul too. Well, what a, what a straightforward truth. It's people's reaction to this baby that will reveal their heart. Our judgment is based on how we react to Jesus. As often we say, you know, God judges me. And I know he does. But God's judgment of you is based on your judgment of Jesus. It's not so much that God judges you, it's that you judge yourself by the way you react to this Messiah. 
And hopefully we can all be like Simeon, who embraces Jesus and now says, Lord, I have seen him with my own eyes. That's all I need. Now just dismiss me. And that word dismiss is such a cool Greek word. It simply means to untie a ship and let it sail on. And so when you have embraced Jesus, here's the great truth. And this is why we can have hope when nobody else has it. When you embrace Jesus, you are ready to die. And this is what I want you to know this morning. God offers you and I this same hope. You say, okay, buddy, how do I get it? That brings us to point number two. We've got to learn how to refresh our hope. Because this world will suck it out of you. Yeah, we, we know about you know hitting the refresh button on a, a computer. Maybe you're waiting on some concert tickets. And uh, so you, you, you've been waiting on those tickets, and, and you know they're coming up at 10 a.m., and, and so you begin to prepare for that. And, and, you know, you just, you punch that refresh button, you know, starting at 9.30, and then you punch it over and over again, just sort of waiting on it to come up because you don't want to miss the tickets. And, and guys, what we're going to give you today is a way biblically to punch the refresh button over and over when life becomes hopeless. Now, now write this down. This is so critical. Hope is built on deep belief that God keeps his promises. That's it. Hope is built on deep belief that God keeps his promises. Why did Simeon maintain hope? Because he believed that God was going to keep that promise. Now, here's some really, really crazy good news for you and I today. Someone has read through the Bible and counted every promise of God. Guess how many there are? 7,487. Is that not cool? And here's the truth of Scripture. God keeps his promises. Listen to these verses. Hebrews chapter 10. God can be trusted to keep his promise. Romans chapter 4. God is able to do whatever he promises. Hebrews chapter 6. Here's why. It is impossible for God to lie. Listen to me. A rock can never swim. A hippo can never fly. A butterfly can never eat spaghetti. Georgia can never beat Alabama. Excuse me, I've been on such good behavior this year. This is the first time I brought football up. Please give me some credit, but I know there's not many Georgia fans here. Sorry, Jerry Green. I thought it would be okay, all right? You can't sleep on a cloud, and God cannot lie. Now, the early church... The proof of God's promise-keeping was the prophecies about Jesus and their fulfillment. I mean, guys, if you go back through Old Testament prophecy, details about Jesus' life are told hundreds of years in advance. Now, normally when I'm looking for hope for my faith, I look at the resurrection. I think that's great, great proof. But the early church, more times than not, that's why the Gospels are so full of prophecy, is, 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 is their hope was found in God said it and God did it. Not to get political here, but in their revivals back then, they could put some big banners behind them that says, promises made and promises kept, all right? Because God had kept his promises. And because of that, you can build your life on that. And so here's the question of the day. The question is not, will God keep his promises? He's proved he would. The question is, will I build my life 
on his promises. I ask you today, are you willing? You see, that's how you're gonna, that's how you're gonna hit the refresh button. Now we know that because we do. There, there, there's one scripture I think we probably mentioned more. Any other scripture is a promise of God. When life really gets rough, we hit the refresh button and we quote Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good to those who love the Lord who are called according to his purpose. Yes, I love that. Things go bad. I go bankrupt. I go through a divorce. I'm depressed. My children are behaving. Life's not good. I hit the refresh button that says, you know what? No matter what happens in life, good, bad, or indifferent, God doesn't cause it all, but God is powerful enough to take the heap of mess in your life and turn it into something really good. So that's what we're talking about. You're finding promises of God and you continue to memorize them and to bring them up. So let's get to the real practical part of our message. How do we reclaim hope? Listen, guys, I want you this Christmas, I want you to be active. You you, you can't be passive about this or you're not going to have it. Now let's get real practical. Two things. First of all, reclaim your Christmas. Many of us dread Christmas because it just stresses us out. So how can we reclaim Christmas? Let me give you some advice. Number one, slow down. The reason Christmas is so miserable for most of us is that we try to keep such a hectic pace that there's no joy found in it. So I want to challenge you to be willing to say no about some things. Say say no so Christmas can be special. Now, I'm about to get a lot of folks fighting. In fact, I saw a fight in the foyer after first service for this next one. Number two, spend less. Okay? Spend less. You know what makes Christmas miserable for people who think? Is that you know the credit card bills are coming in in January. And it steals Christmas. And our crazy culture has convinced us that the biggest part of Christmas is giving material gifts. What this message series says is you've got so, something so much better to give than that. And so don't go crazy just spending. And then that leads us to what we want to do instead. We want to give meaningfully. We'll give meaningful. We want, we want to give, we want to give to somebody who needs it. You see, for most of us, guys, if I want something, I go buy it. And so we're, we're trying to buy gifts for people that we can't figure out what to buy for them because they've already got it. If they didn't have it, they'd get it. And so we need to learn to, to give me one of my favorite Christmases is my mom and my wife got together and we always had Christmas together and I'm a pretty big family and so we all used to buy gifts for everybody and all the grandchildren and they said, you know what? There's a single mom at Landmark who needs a lot of help. Let's don't give anything to, to one another. Let's collect all that money and let's help her. That was a better Christmas. And yet our culture teaches us an opposite order. Listen, you've been through it recently. We have Black Friday, Cyber Monday, and what? Giving Tuesday. And and so by the time you spend it all on Black Friday and, and Cyber Monday, then you give the leftovers to give, all right? How crazy our culture has it. Thank you for my friend Trey Hayes who gave me that, that, that illustration. But you know what we need to do is we need to reverse it. Instead of starting off with Black Friday and Cyber Monday, why don't we start off with giving? And giving meaningfully. 
And that doesn't mean just material gifts. It means giving what really, really counts. So slow down, spend less, give meaningful. Oh, I love number four, love deeply. You see, the people who suffer because of you being too busy and you and I spending too much are the people we love the most. Because we get tense and we get terse and, and what was supposed to be this awesome family time ends up being just hectic trying to cook meals and clean and wrap gifts and make it all happen. And that's when it gets rough. We all know that. Well, what we ought to do if we could just slow down a little bit, you know, keep within a good budget. We could just love the people that God has put us in that room to love. And then fifth, and most importantly, if you want to reclaim Christmas, you've got to worship freely. This is not about Santa Claus and gifts. This is about Jesus Christ and God breaking into history. And guys, your Christmas and my Christmas will be so meaningful if, 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 the, if the heart of our Christmas is worship. That's why I'm so glad you're here. We're going to close this service out in a few moments with some great worship. And I, I want to challenge you for a moment because too many of us are holding back with our worship. And God deserves better with that. Worship freely. We're going to have a great worship night coming up in a couple of Sunday nights. It's going to be amazing. Worship freely. And allow us to remember what Christmas is all about, this, this Savior who was born. So I hope that challenges you practically. Now, not only do we need to reclaim Christmas, but long-term, here's what we've got to reclaim. This is a good time of year to do it. Reclaim God's promises. You see, see what I, I need to do is I need to get in Scripture, and I need to find some promises. And let me challenge you. We don't do enough of this anymore. We need to memorize Scripture. Because when I hit that time, I don't have my Bible in my back pocket or my phone's not. I've got to have, I gotta have a scripture that I can hold on to. So, so today, as you go to the communion tables, well, we're, we're challenging you to, to, number one, take communion. But we're also challenging you to pick up one of these little slips. There, there's going to be promises. There's about ten different promises on the table. Just grab one and take it with you. So as you go to this place where Jesus secured our promises, pick up one like this. I will help you when you're tempted to sin. And, and next time Satan throws something in front of you, you do what Jesus did. You quote Scripture. And so reclaim God's promises. You see, the word Advent's not a big word in our tradition, but it's not a complicated word. And, and, and these four terms are, are really the outline of the Advent season. But here, here's all Advent means. It, it simply means the arrival of a notable guest. And, and what Advent and Christmas promises that we got to hold on to, it promises that he came and he's coming again. You see, early Christmases were not completely focused on his first coming. They were focused on his first coming and his second coming. So guess what? You and I live in the same place Simeon lived, waiting on Jesus to come on our tiptoes. Because, guys, here's the problem is, here's the secular world's problem. Listen to me. You know why so many people are hopeless? I'll give it to you in a sentence. We believe this life is as good as it gets. 
and it's not always that good. And so I challenge you to use Scripture to reclaim that. So we close out with this question. Would you, will you build your life on the promises of God? You see, we, we've studied this character, Simeon, who, who built his life really on one promise. And what a legacy. We, we read of this man every Christmas and go, oh my goodness, what a devout, Holy Spirit-filled man. Would love to be like Simeon. But too often, even though we got 7,467 or whatever promises, we don't build our life on them. And let, me, let me say this just for a moment, guys. If, if you don't build your life on God's promises, what, what, what are you going to build it on? You can build it on money. They'll all one day perish. You can build it on things that will break. You can build it on your health that will one day go bad. You can build it on your looks that are already going downhill. <laughs> Excuse me. I mean, you can build it on, I mean, what, what, what are you going to build it on? Because there, there, there's no solid foundation out there. That's why we live in a hopeless generation. That's why we must be busy re-gifting Christmas because we've been given the gift that brings hope. And now we have the privilege to give it. So here, here's, here's, the first, here's the first step. Have you received it? Now some of you, let me just be straight honest here. Some of you need to be baptized today. You say, what, come on, buddy. What's the big deal about that water? Well, not really anything about the water. But there is a big deal about the promises when you meet the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. The Bible's not um, questionable about this. It's not, um, it's not flimsy about this. You don't have to doubt what this thing's all about because it's said in black and white. What are some of the promises? The promise is you can become a new person. The promise is you can be born again. How crazy. The promise is all your sins could be washed away today. The promise is, just like Simeon, you could be filled with the Holy Spirit. So some of you need to claim that promise today. The way you do it is to meet Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Others of us today, we've got to give some hope back in our life. And, and right now, you don't have enough hope on your own to stand up. That's okay. We've all been there. And, and, and you need this church to invest in you. And the best way we can invest in you is with prayer. Listen to this promise from James chapter 5. When godly people pray, great things happen. Man, if you have nothing to hold on to these next couple minutes, but that promise, meet me on the front row and some godly people will pray and God who always keeps his promises says, great things will happen. Because my friends, if you ever embrace Jesus, you're ready to face anything life or death throws at you. And so if we can help you today, if today's the day you're going to surrender your life to Jesus, the day's the day you're like, okay, I've been sitting here, I've been trying to get, gather my hope up, it's really hard, but I, 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 need, I need some prayers. Meet us up here and let's pray together. Let's all stand together and sing.